Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. So the first question is, I'm 31 years old and have three older sisters. Growing up, our father was an active addict, affairs, and my mom developed gambling issues after they divorced. Starting to keep my distance from my parents more now, is it possible that not all my sisters experience a lingering effect of the environment we grew up in? I feel like a second-class citizen with my sisters. It seems like they can do no wrong, and they patronize me for doing therapy. They don't know I'm an addict. Okay, well. Um, I have a good answer for this, but you'll be mad that I got it before you. Um, We have this little saying in 12-step recovery, don't compare your insides to other people's outsides. You have no idea what's really going on in their coupleships with their kids. You know, you may see some things, but I think to assume that, you know, uh, these people who are doing great and everything's fine with and they show no cracks, you know, are pushing you away because you're one with the problems, I think is unlikely. And I'll tell you this just from my own personal experience. I have a sister who I no longer speak with. And that's a big statement for somebody who's done all the work I've done. Um, Meaning we therapists try to work through everything and talk through everything. But I have a sister I no longer talk to. And we had the same childhood about a a number of years apart. And I am an addict who's had, you know, who had huge, huge emotional problems and has been in therapy for 25 years. And my sister has never been to a therapy session. We grew up in the same home. Her life is perfect. It's great on the outside, but I know her well. She has irritable bowel syndrome. She's sick every single day. She and her husband have a, you know, I, I see it. Her, her child is, I can see damage. I see it because I, you know, see these things as my job. But I'm just saying that I think that, so here I'll tell you one more thing. One of my favorite things uh, that I learned in therapy. And this is a really good one. Tell me you like this one too. Um, move toward the people who care about you and move away from the people who don't it's the best life lesson this older person can give you forever we are often so chasing well why don't they like me why don't they be why aren't i involved but there are some people who just love me or will love you those are the people and situations there are events where i thought oh i don't want to go there i don't have to go there do i have to go there my husband's like do you feel comfortable and safe there no well then don't go you know, so it's as simple as to look at Tammy said, I want to give some of it to you, Tammy. So please respond for yourself. I agree with everything that Dr. Rob said. And I think about my own family situation. And one of the things that um, another family member said, actually, my daughter, who is a bright young woman, she said, you don't know your sister, you have more in common, you know, because I had this perception of, you know, like, it, like everything was perfect in her life and all of this. And we were so different. And really, when I finally was willing to ask some questions and get to know her better, I was like, oh, wow, she had some of the same feelings as I did. So, so, so both are, I think are true, but I absolutely know that the people I choose to spend time with the people that I foster relationships with are the ones that are safe for me. Um, And I don't spend a lot of time on, I mean, like there are people, you know, I've got several family relations that they are not in my near circle. I obviously family ordeal, or I said ordeals, family gatherings. But <laughs> Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. <laughs> so, so, yeah, there's some people that are in, you know, they, they I'm connected to them in some way, but that doesn't mean I'm connected to them, you know, like other people. So, um, 
so you're in recovery. We get to choose. We have skills and tools and support to do life differently. So I, I encourage you to dig into the recovery tools and the recovery community, create the, the family and structure and support that you need and deserve. And, you know, everybody gets, you know, the sisters, their older sisters, they may, well, who knows? Do, doesn't matter. You take care of you. And I would add the word boundaries. You know, we can have all the expectations of other people in the world. We can guilt them. We can shame them. We can ignore them. But ultimately, ultimately, if they don't come to the table, you have to lower your expectations and have a different boundaries. Maybe you'll have Thanksgiving with them, with the kids, and won't stay there. Go back to home. who knows the level at which you will feel safe. I think one of the keys to our recovery is when we stop looking at other people and what they're doing, what makes them happy, and how we can fit in with them, and really focus on. I know this for a fact. Deeper dating, you know, one of the one of the podcasts. I really, really love this guy who does deeperdating.com. It's it's a website for people who are building relationships who are single in recovery. And he talked to me, and I really love this about this, you know, the idea that a lot of us are so needful when we go into new relationships, or you know, we think, oh gosh, how can I get them to love me or get them to value me? When the real question is, what do I like about them? What do I enjoy about them? What kind of, how do we complement each other rather than, you know, I wish they loved me. I wish they gave me what I want, you know? Um, and you can only, you know, I'll put it another way. You can only go to the well so many times and then you're just hurting yourself. And then you have to grieve that there's no water. Yeah. 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 And I think that grieving is, you know, I grieve the losses of the relationships I'd hoped for that I don't have. But I also understand I have relationships that fill me in a different way just because they're not biologically related to me doesn't mean that these people aren't my sisters or what, whatever it is that I, you know, that I need. So it's all good. I guess I was saying one more thing that could go on forever. Um, um, you know, time is a beautiful thing. I know people in their 20s and 30s who are absolutely convinced that life is this way. And I look at them and say, oh, you just are only 25. You're only 30. You get wiser as when you're on the path that you're on, which is therapy. So you may rejoin around kids or grandkids or, you know, whatever happens. But I would focus less on them and more on the people whose door is wide open and think you're great. By the way, who's the braver person in a troubled family? The one who seeks out help and realizes it was difficult or the one who says, oh, I can get through it. I'm fine. Everyone's going to be fine. In our world, who do you think is stronger? Because I like the people with the cracks. They may have been glued back together, but at least I can see them. Tammy said to me once, I will absolutely shut up. She said, I never trust people who smile all the time. And right, I got to see the cracks and then yeah. I feel safer. Yeah, yeah. And I think... Um... Uh, uh, oh shoot! I lost the train of thought. Doesn't matter. Doesn't. I'm matter. so glad because I always no. think I'm too no. old, and now I think I'm not alone. What's well, the next question? Okay. What are your thoughts about compulsive abuse of sexual relational disorder in relation to the addict? C A S R D. Compulsive abuse of sexual relational disorder. I've. I've never heard of that, and I've been working in this field for 20 years. Tammy's pretty much been at every lecture I think we've ever experienced. What do you think? I've not heard of that either. It sounds like compulsive abuse of sexual relational disorder. Well, there is no formal diagnosis right. of that. Yeah, but, but I can drop a word in about what it brings up. Um, we have this idea of um, erotic rage. Mm. And that's what comes up for me is that some sex addicts are not just acting out their sexual behavior. They're acting out a lot of anger. doesn't mean they're abusing you or they're, it just means they're not present with you. They're in their own, you know, lots. So I don't, I absolutely do not think that abusing people and 
being a sex addict go together, except for the spouses who get abused by lies and secrets and all that. But we tend to be more passive. You know, what a sex addict does is I'm so angry at you and you ruined my day. So I'm going to go over here and do something about it rather than being direct with you. Yes, Dr. Munwala. Um, so Dr. Munwala, Dr. Munwala was an intern under me for many years. And I can say that um, he's created a lot of concepts and ideas, which are as yet unproven. So you can call anything, anything you want other than your belief. So I'll leave it there. Okay. Uh, do you and have any advice for someone experiencing SLAA withdrawal symptoms 13 days in? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what withdrawal is for you, but what I hear from most people, and I think this is actually chemical, it's not just emotional, it's probably both. There's a lot of longing, a lot of I wish, a lot of like, you know, I, I need something, I want something, you know, I, it isn't always sexual. And so my answer, well, there are two answers to this. One Tammy will like, one you won't, she won't. The other is, you know, um, I'm going to say this a nice way, get out of yourself and get out of the house. You know, start focusing on other people, other things, because, you know, whether I'm working out or I'm helping a friend or I'm building something or I'm not thinking about my troubles. And I know that sounds really dumb, but, you know, and the other one, which Tammy may not like as much, is find some Netflix series. Like when my spouse was sick about, I don't know, what was it? Thank goodness, two weeks ago, about six weeks ago. And I was here for a month where I watched every single Down Abbey episode. While he was getting better, we went through every Game of Thrones. So I'm not saying that's the best way, but if it keeps you home, if it keeps you sane, the most important thing is to not go back out there. So, and also understand this is going to pass. You know, I think addicts feel like I'm feeling this way and it's going to feel this way forever. And how am I going to handle it? And that's because we're not used to tolerating a lot of feelings. I think, you know, if you can wait an hour, talk to someone like Tammy or someone who's a friend or has a happy face, you know, you may forget all about it. We're a little bit, we're kind of like babies, you know, I'm unhappy and I'm going to, oh, oh, mommy, pick me up. I feel better. <laughs> yeah. Ahead, well, and it really is. It's, it is temporary. This too shall pass. And while it feels horrible and, and you may be experiencing anger. I mean, like I, I've talked to a couple of people lately who have said, I'm so angry. I'm like, I'm mad that the consequences of, you know, have all caught up with me and I have to stop this. Like there, so all of those emotions are real and they're, you know, you're feeling them because you're not just coming out, but you're also, um, probably uncomfortable because you've not had to, to deal with that. So yeah, I mean, the, I have found that the more I focus on the problem, the less I'm looking at other options, you know? And so, so I, you know, I go for a run, I go for a hike, I go outside, I go look at something outside that is, that is soothing to me. I read a great meditation just a little while ago. I had a couple of minutes and I was like, you know, it was from Harriet Hunter on her journaling thing. I, and oh, I was like, oh, it's so good. It's like, it's so good. good. And I was, yeah, like her little meditations are like, so that kind of stuff to me was like, oh, you know, mind changing. So there's, you're here podcast. Dr. Rob has zillions of podcasts, um, you know, sex and relationship or no sex, love and addiction. Um, th there's so much good stuff. Just keep, you know, Focus on the good stuff. You're here. 13 days. Yay. Tomorrow's 14. Yay. I wanted to just, if you don't mind, jump in quickly because I don't want to be um, flip about uh, doc, about Omar. Um, 
I think Dr. Manwala's work is very focused on this concept that sex addicts are perpetrators and that they were, we're actually offenders only we're offending the people we love, the people we care, what, or the, you know, whatever that means. And I just want to say that I, I just don't believe that. I think we're very broken people who are really troubled. In all the years I've done this work, and I think I know what it looks like, when I think of the really, really sociopathic people who would hurt you in a dime, and, you know, out of hundreds and hundreds of people, I've seen a couple of them. One of them is in jail right now that I can think of. So, um, you know, I just, I, I, I try, try to give us addicts the opportunity to grow and be positive and heal and not sort of sentence us to, sentence us to being these horrible, abusive people. We do some things that are not very nice, but that's not who we are. So anyway, I think that's just a difference in how we think about things. And that's a nicer yeah. way to say it. Well, and, and, and we end up hurting ourselves you know, even though we don't notice it as much, you know, we, we hurt ourselves terribly by being disconnected from people that we love and, and hurting them as well. So guilt, shame, all of those things. So, okay. So this one is, I am an addict in recovery and discovery happened a few months ago. My partner and I have done disclosure and have taken and have therapists and groups. My addiction and infidelity have taken quite a financial toll with credit loss and the like. My partner now wants to manage all my finances and paychecks and everything. I feel like this is the only bit of self-identity I have left, earning and keeping my money, my money, oops, sorry, and spending it appropriately now. And any thoughts on rebuilding my finances? Okay, well, Tammy, what made you stop at the word my? Yeah. Or did you just have a little burp or something? No, no, no. Because it was like my money, my, 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 my. That's what, right. that's what I want to. So. What should I do with my partner with my money? So um, I think you should read a book I wrote. I really do. I think you've missed this book. I make 12 cents a book, just so you know. It's called Out of the Doghouse, a relationship saving guide for men caught cheating. Out of the Doghouse, a relationship saving guide for men caught cheating. And one of the reasons I'm encouraging you to read the book is I think you really have to understand two things, the depth of the pain you've caused and how much humility it requires to heal. You are no, the, guess what the book is called? Out of the doghouse. Why did I name it out of the doghouse? Because you're not in the house with your spouse. You have dirtied your home is a great way to think about it. And I have a little puppy and she dirties my home. She goes outside with a little whack and I close the door and she doesn't get to come back right away. She's in the doghouse, you know, and an hour later, whatever it is, she can come back in. You are in the doghouse. You've harmed your home. You've dirtied your home. You've Anyway, you got that part. So being in the doghouse means you are no longer equal. You are one step down and you have to earn your way back to trust. So if your partner says, you know, I would feel safer and more comfortable if I managed the finances, my response would be, that is so kind of you. And I'm glad it makes you feel more comfortable. If you need my help or explanation, I'm glad to give it you any time because you've been selfish for a very long time and you no longer have the right to say me, me, mine, mine. Mm -mm. So I think you need to get your head turned on right, to say it differently, and understand your role and this person's role and the victimization that you've caused. Uh, read out of the doghouse. That might help redirect you. One of the things I really try to say in that book very clearly is you don't have to do all this stuff. You don't have to let your spouse into your finances. You don't have to ha let them have your cell phone number, whatever, you know, contact information, whatever it is. Um, but you do if you want to stay in the relationship. So, you know, all bets are off on whether your relationship will even go forward. And I think your spouse is very generous to even listen to your excuses for why you want to hold on to the money, considering how much, you know, if you have kids, I'm going to go on for one more second. I wonder if you have children. 
because I think about college funds and how they need to be given. And I've heard lots of people who, you know, we always said food on the table. I took care of everyone. It's like, well, what if your kids had another $20,000 to go to school with? Or, you know, I think it's, we're so busy thinking about ourselves that we really miss the harm we've caused and what it takes to make it better. Well, obviously I had a, a reaction with this and, and with all due respect, I <laughs> appreciate that you are, you are starting the recovery journey. And I'm going to say you're starting the recovery journey. You are a few months in. You apparently, it sounds like, had therapeutic disclosure. Good. That's better than doing it on your own. But but yeah, I mean, Dr. Abish talked on this webinar series. You know, it's, you know, 12 to 24 months of the partner being upset and angry and rebuilding trust. Just because your lips are moving and you're saying, I'm now going to be, you know, financially, re you know, responsible and I'm going to, I'm going to do everything right. We don't even know how to do that right, everything right. And there's a program for that. We have amends, all of these things. So you are on a journey. You are at the beginning of the journey. You will learn more. You know, I love what Dr. Rob said. It's like, thank you for being willing to help me because clearly I haven't done this well. That's what recovery is, is leaning into the people that know how to do things better than us and we can learn. So, you know, in 12 months or whatever, maybe you have more control over your finances, but. Uh, I want to add one more thing to that, Tammy, because I absolutely agree with you. Um, I also think that maybe, you know, this is a message from the universe. This is a message that you're not listening to, which is, you know, I have so many things on my plate. I'm glad to get off that off my plate because now I go to a trust at me. Now I can talk to a friend. I don't have as much pressure on me. Maybe what your spouse is offering is a gift and you're seeing it in terms of something you want to hold on to rather than something that might actually be great if you got off of your shoulders. So there's another perspective for you. Yeah, or or maybe it's the two of you are doing this together. There, you, you are interacting, later, and having a conversation. Later, later. Oh, you think? So, yeah, okay. later. Let her. All right. have totally it. understand. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Right. That's all good. I'm a 40-year-old porn sex addict living in sobriety for just over a year. Yay! Attend five to seven, 12-step meetings per week. After many partial disclosures, I am finally being honest and open. My betrayed spouse feels I continue to hide and is asking for clarification on several items where I've told the truth. My betrayed spouse knows I have done things that I truly have not. Um, oh, so I know you've done things that you haven't really done and it's giving me one last chance to come clean. What advice can you give to get through this and past this as I am being told I have done things that I have not done? So does that you track it? I don't think that's a difficult question to answer. Okay. I think you need a professional. I think, you know, you've done what you can and you are working on it and you've been more honest, but I don't know under what circumstances spouses want endless clarification. They want to know every single thing because they're seeking safety and they feel like if they know enough things, they're safe enough to not get hurt again. So you know, your spouse doesn't know what you did, doesn't know what you didn't do, is asking for clarification, maybe about things that wouldn't be helpful, um, like very specific graphic details, which you may think, and a lot of addicts think, I've got to tell them everything. I got to keep telling them and telling them and telling them, you know, I, I, I don't have the right to not tell them all the time and answer every question. And, and that's just not true. You know, um, you can say, you know, we're not going to do questions outside of therapy, or we're not going to do questions out of one hour a night or whatever kind of boundary you want to set. So I think, and Tammy, I have another thought that, you know, that even just a few couples therapy sessions with someone who knows what they're doing can help you guys, you know, redirect and let your spouse have no faith in you and no belief in anything you say and absolutely be convinced that you've done other stuff. And you have to work your way back 
building trust. And by the way, she may never believe those things. Who cares? Does it really matter that you went to the massage parlor three years ago and and then went on and then went home? But she thinks you went to Vegas. What difference does it make? You lied. You cheated. So why fight for the things? Well, this is true and that's true. All I'd be saying is, I'm sorry, I left you feeling like you could never trust me. I'm sure you don't believe anything I say. So, you know, I will hold on to what I've told you. And hopefully in the future, we can move past this. It's sort of like the last question, like, how can I convince my wife to let me use the money? How can I convince my spouse that everything's okay? It's like, it's not about convincing them. It's about looking at your side of the street and saying, am I being a good spouse? Am I showing up? Am I doing what's asked of me? Am I helping? And then what am I doing for myself to focus on myself? And, and I'll just say this to all the addicts. I say this to everyone who goes to our treatment center. Make a schedule of what you're doing for your recovery every day, Sunday through Saturday. And every single day, you know, I'm doing this and I'm talking to this person. I'm going to this group. You know, this can count. Monday nights, I go to group with Rob and Tammy. Tuesday afternoons, I listen to Rob's podcast, you know, whatever it is. And put it on the fridge so your spouse can see. This is what you're doing every day. You want to earn back trust? Let her or him find you in the library, in a meeting at three o'clock, just like you said on the calendar. So you're not ready for this person to be able to say, okay, I trust you. Everything's fine. You have a whole process to go through before. And by the way, Out of the Doghouse wouldn't be a bad book for you to read either. Tammy, I'm sorry. I don't mean to go on and on. No, no, no. I, I really do agree. And, and like, this is exactly why I talk about, please don't do disclosure on your own. Please don't do the, you know, oh, a little bit here, a little bit there. L look what happens. I mean, this is exactly what happens. And I, you know, your poor partner has a deeper hole to dig out of, and you do too, because because, you know, it's like been oh, a little bit here, a little bit there. No, this is really all. This is really all. Well, it really wasn't. I mean, that's, you know, so unfortunately, a very negative consequence of, you know, not having a professional, you know, help you not being transparent from the get go. So you can get I wanna, there, though. Yeah. I wanted to add, um, not add, but clarify something, Tammy, because we use these words a lot and I'm not yes. sure everyone knows what they mean. So the word discovery means that you're a spouse and you ran into something that you didn't know and all of a sudden you've discovered that this person you love or have been with or is your family member they've been looking at all this porn they've been you know and then you realize this in the whole life going on that you didn't know about that's discovery disclosure is something that's done in a formal way with a professional therapist preferably a csat or someone who is trained specifically in this and they will walk you through the steps of how to be honest, how to be clear, how to do it in a way that isn't begging for forgiveness or giving too many details. While at the same time, you're, they have a path for your spouse to get support, to be nurtured, to get um, in a place where they can hear these things and then go cry on somebody's shoulder. And they're not just leaving the office by themselves. So we work very hard to build up the support of the spouses and clarify what it is you have to say. Um, I don't do this any longer an outpatient. We do it some of our residential work, but um, but um, it's really important to be clear on the differences. And I would never want to do, oh, and let, there's one more thing we should clarify. This drip, drip, drip thing, Tammy, that you talk about. Would you mind clarifying that? Uh, so this person had said, and we've had, uh, oh, I've missed it, but, um, but I'm in a general. Number of Can partial, you describe like, oh, yeah, a partial disclosure? So, so probably got caught with a few things. And so, okay, I'm going to fess up to those things and, or tell you a little bit more, or, um, you know, I'm feeling guilty about this one, or you're going to find out about that. So I'm going to tell you about that, but I'm holding on to these things because I don't want to hurt you. If you find out about this, you're going to leave me for sure. I mean, all of these things. So then it's continued lies and secrets. And then guess what? 
you tell more later, you know, it's like, oh no, that's all. Oh wait, it wasn't all. And so this happens again. And it's like the poor partner is sitting there going, the other shoe is going to drop. The other shoe is going to drop. And now you're saying there's no more shoes to drop and your partner's still going like, yes, there is, you know? It's, so it's, uh, it's, it's a challenge. And like Dr. Rob said, disclosure is a challenging enough process that in our peer consultation group, Dr. Rob has a, a group for professionals from all over the world to join. And it's probably the number one topic that comes up because they want to do a good job with it, but it's not cookie cutter. It's not every disclosure goes this way and everybody does it. There's some guidelines, you know, but it still is challenging enough for each professional and therefore couple. You absolutely do want to set it up to be something that provides a foundation of healing and just drip drip i call them vomit disclosures when an addict just vomits on the partner and says here's stuff no it's true because then just think the stench is left on the partner you know they're sitting there oh. and what just happened so no <laughs> it's a very good visual for what happens okay i'll give you a different one i, I yeah. feel like the partners have fallen out a window and they finally think they've landed just the first floor and all of a sudden that falls out from under them and they're in oh, free yeah. fall again and they think oh okay finally i've landed now i know where i am i can start to climb out of the basement and then it goes again so they're never actually in a place where they can take their breath and say okay this is the bottom and let me tell you what every spouse wants they want to know everything and let me tell you what every addict wants not to tell them <laughs> So this is the tension that we have to work with, helping the spouses learn and feel supported in what they need to learn, absolutely, but not leaving them with information that's going to leave them hating themselves or, or constantly have images in their head they can't get rid of, while the other time we're working with the addict to say, hey, this is your chance to get honest. This is your maybe your one chance to get honest. And so let's talk about what honest is, what honest looks like, and get, in fact, I wouldn't do disclosure on any first session. It would take maybe, and this is hard on the spouses, you have to wait. But it could take maybe six or eight weeks of us working together, me with a spouse, someone else with the attic, whatever, for us to get ready to do this. And we might even have these two therapists talking to each other, you know, or even in the same room while you're doing it. So as Tammy said, there are lots of ways to do it. But disclosure is the beginning of the foundation of the repair. This is when the spouse gets to say, okay, this is everything. Do I want to live with this? Is this something I can handle? Okay, this is the bottom. Do I want to climb out? And they can't really go forward until they know. And every spouse I've ever heard says, I just want to know the truth. And, Let's move. Oh, sorry, Tim. Well, I'm going to add one more thing. And I hear more often, I can handle the behaviors. It's the lies. It's the constant lies. So, so getting past that and starting to have a foundation of honesty is where the repairs can begin. Okay, the next question. The crux of my recovery is working through fear, shame issues, which are the biggest problems with my forward movement. I have been working on this for three years, but each therapist I have had has jumped around on this rather than tackling it head on. Within this, I also have family of origin issues that mingle with my fear, shame, and is part of the cause. My mom, whom I do not speak to at this time for almost three years now. Do you think it is best to focus on recovery with my CSAT and seek out an LMFT or for family of origin? That's a complicated question, but maybe it's not so much for you, so. Well, no, I just try to pick out the key words that I think I can say something about, but you would probably pick out other words and you would say something. So I don't know about that. But um, so I guess I want to say something about shame. Shame, this feeling, the shame Brene Brown talks about. She's the best author to speak about, uh, about shame. She's written several books. 
But basically what any of us will tell you is that shame is uh, us turning on ourselves and attacking ourselves. Uh, shame sounds like I'm a piece of crap. I don't deserve to be loved. How can I do these things? What's wrong with me? And it usually comes in at times when we're either feeling some form of trauma or we're reminded of something that we feel bad about. Instead of feeling guilty, which is, gee, Tamara, I was late today. I'm really sorry. I feel bad about that. I won't be late tomorrow. Uh, shame is, oh my God, I'm such a piece of shit, Tammy. Why do you even talk to me? And I, I better lie to Tammy about why I was late because I don't want her to be mad at me. That's what shame looks like. But I also want to tell you, and I'm probably the only therapist I've ever met who says this, I think, I think shame is selfish. Because when I'm sitting around saying, oh, I'm so awful, I'm such a, it's kind of narcissistic. It's like, well, you can live on that forever. But how about, I wonder how the people I hurt are feeling. I wonder how other people who've been harmed are feeling. I wonder how other people in recovery are feeling. Taking that focus off of how bad I am and starting to look toward, again, it's like we've said today, look outward rather than inward. Um, so maybe these therapists have not jumped around the issue. Maybe there isn't a solution. <laughs> maybe the solution is, and I got to tell you this, the best advice I ever had about shame was a therapist who said to me, there's no there there. You can go round and round and feel that and hate yourself, but the only, the only thing to do with that, and I was shocked, he said, there's nothing to learn in shame. Get out of it. But, you know, go to those 20 Netflix movies that I watched. Get out, and once you're out of the shame, you know, you can look at the world much more clearly and see it beyond your own pain. One more thing, um, and this is not a prescription, but I know there are a lot of clients I work with who have chronic depression. And so when they run into an issue that's shameful or overwhelming, especially those of us who are early trauma, they can't really pull themselves out of that because they're depressed and they don't realize they're depressed, but their depression. So for some people, depression looks like reactivity, you know, like it, we can be angry, we can be irritable, we can shut down um, or we can hate ourselves. And it really the question you're asking is so important because what you're saying is, how do I grow? if I feel like I'm stuck in the same place over and over again. And to me, you know, there's two answers to that. I don't think it's finding a fourth therapist. You know, I think it is learning how to work through shame by being more open and being out in the world. And you might want to go see a good psychiatrist and say, you know, I often feel so terrible about myself that I don't think I'm growing. Um, and that might be the kind of answer that you've been looking for. Can't say. Anything else, Tammy? Well, I like that you said, go see a psychiatrist because too often I think people go to their general practitioner and and then the meds aren't necessarily the right fit for what you really need. So I appreciate that you said go to the specialist about that. So. Can I tell you one more thing about that? Then? Sure. There's actually new testing that tells you, they look at your genetic code and they say, okay, will this medication or these series of medications like the Prozac family, will that help this person or not? And they can say, no, that won't be as helpful as this family, or the SNRIs or whatever. And I think that's incredible because back in the day, people used to go used to have to go through trial after trial after trial to get to the one that felt right. And that's so crazy making. So these are, I don't know where they do them, Tammy. You may know, I don't know. But I, I think actually it's have information. So email me if you're looking for that, because I actually, I, I do. And and it also your metabolism, you know, if you're a fast metabolizer, you need a different version than a slow metabolizer. I'm like, it is fascinating. You really do. You, you can learn a lot about what your genetic makeup will, um, how it will interact with the medication. So, so yes, email me, Tammy. T-A-M-I at seekingintegrity.com, say genetic um, um, meds or something like that. And I'll, I, I know where the information is so I can dig it out. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.